0: Hello and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I really love this image. It was shot on film. It was shot on a Nikon N80 uh, with uh, with a decent lens, but a pretty basic one. And I just I love the, the crisp way it comes out, uh, the the texture on the playa, and the uh, the warmth that you get off the sun as it sort of crests over the uh, the horizon in the distance, that super flat horizon. You see the, the top of the skyline there, but all the image is just that dark kind of crackled texture of the playa. I really like how crisp it is. I think I racked I racked the F-stop up on this up to around 16 or 18 or so so I could get most of it in focus. But you still see a good bit of the vignetting around the side, and you see just how it starts to sweep out of focus down at the bottom. Really like that part of the image, and really, in fact, this is, I think, Maybe my favorite photograph from the Alvor desert while we were there. Just really shows how flat and expansive it is. How there's really nothing. And it just goes on and on and on. But that was as far as the eye could see. Nothing but that on the Alvor. You can see more of my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. Thinking about a couple of the photo things that I've been trying to put up. I just posted one earlier. It was a backpacking photo that I'd taken uh when we were out in the Wallawa Mountains, up in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And that's a really cool spot. I've talked about it a ton of times before, but uh, but it really is a, a special location as it goes, even for Oregon, which is really blessed with a lot of very nice, very approachable, photographable locations. But the Wallawa Mountains have always been uh, something that stood out to me as one of my favorites. And I've heard that that region has a lot of stuff like that, like as you move further over into Idaho, into the Sawtooth Mountains, into House Canyon. There's a lot of a really peculiar uh, spectacles to go see in that area. And it's really interesting how it's laid out. I, I appreciate it. And I loved kind of getting to go through the whole area. But the Wallao Mountains specifically have something kind of special to them, especially when you get up into the Alpine area and you get away from people. Even as it goes, when you get to, to Joseph, you're significantly away from people. But as you leave and kind of push in further into the Eagle Cap Wilderness, uh, the number of people just drops down to less than a dozen by far. And, uh, and even less than that, you know, as you move into the more remote areas, it's sort of interesting how there's a threshold of where people are. Like if it's under so many miles of a hike, there's going to be a lot more people there. It's just sort of uh, evolution. Maybe it's, uh, or, you know, it's, it's just a uh, natural selection, right? It's uh, it's where people would naturally select their interests to be closer the main road than uh, then further and more competitive at a farther distance and so uh, it's interesting like if you go to a lake that's six miles in uh, there's gonna be more people there than if you went to the lake that was nine miles in it's just people kind of pull out first or they pull out to the to the route or the trail it's gonna not be as much it seems like um, but also on top of that really and I blame myself for this specifically uh, it's way busier now this decade just generally it seems like the REI or the the whole outdoor industry this whole outdoor media industry outdoor adventure industry it just seems like it's double what it or it's 20% up from what it was a decade ago if that might make sense and the reason that I would say that is it just seems like there were so many more people filling the parking lot of the area than there were in the years past and you know the reason that I say that and the reason why that's that's qualified information maybe is uh It's after Labor Day now. What the trick used to be when I was doing a lot of the the photo trips that I do uh, as I kind of travel east from here and kind of do a big loop in the fall to take photos is uh, after Labor Day, what you really notice is a lot of these state parks, a lot of the managed locations where there's a park host or something like that, those all get shut down for the winter. It's closed off, unless it's like a bigger, higher volume national park kind of area. But all of these remote locations like the Wallawa Wilderness or the Alvor Desert that we went to, these were places where there would likely be no people, especially no people if it were off hours, off season sort of stuff, sort of visitation. Uh, But what we noticed when we were there is that the parking lot was filled up, like, you know, it was 50, 60, 70, 80 cars deep. They all just kind of park in a line up above the trailhead. And that's, you know, you kind of visually just are impacted by, wow, there must be this many people from all of these cars up in the mountains right now. And in the past, like when I was there in 2011 and then again in 2012 and in 13, there would be no car. Like there was five cars in the parking lot. It was me. I pulled up right to the very front. And uh, I mean, and even when we went this last time, it was a midweek trip. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And even still with that midweek trip, there there was more traffic up there. So we went to Arnoid Lake, I believe, and uh, that was an area that was, I think, like six miles in. So a little bit of what I was talking about before about natural selection of the hike you're going to go on that day. Uh, six miles was is less of a hike. I think the other one, Ice Lake, is nine miles. Maybe the other one is 10, 12, 13 miles, so, you know, somewhere in there. But it just kind of progressively goes on from about six. There's about one every two miles or so. If You know, if you kind of push, you know, you got so many more miles after that. There's this next one. So on and so forth, as you can imagine. But a lot of people go up to this lake for like a lunch day hike, which sounds like a blast not having to actually carry all the heavy stuff with you or, you know, all the equipment, all the overnight stuff that you'd have to deal with. Um, but it was fine. It was uh, it was cool. We went up to Arnoid Lake. We camped up there for a night and we did a lot of photo stuff. But it was kind of tough because I think I mentioned on that last podcast where uh, the we were prepared, but the weather would kind of get twisted on us more often than really what I wanted it to Uh, But the weather would kind of spin out on us a little bit. So the first night we were there, it was nice and decent in temperature and weather as we were hiking up to the location where we were going to camp. There's only one other couple camping up there. I think it was like a mom and a daughter team that were, uh, they were camped out at a site. And then so we pulled away from them on the lake and, you know, it's just the whole lake to us, which is really cool. It was fun. Uh, So we shot around there for a while, but there's rain that picked up. It was probably one of the first rains of the season. Well, at least for me or for us or or for that area, but uh, it seemed like it kind of built up over the mountains You know, like how you see storm systems kind of build up over the mountaintops sometimes It seems sort of like it was that like it was some kind of weather pattern that was About the wallows. It seemed like it was nice everywhere else But it just seemed like it wasn't very nice there. So uh, We camped there for the night. We got through some rain. It was nice the next morning We took a lot of photos that morning a lot of photos through the day We kind of walked around the lake, you know, it was interesting, I guess, way back before it was uh, before it was a wilderness area, uh, before whatever kind of legislation went into effect in the 60s. I think was it the Nixon era, you know, when Nixon had just gotten in and what was like 68 and they they pushed for the Wilderness Act or the Wild and Scenic Act or probably there's a bunch of stuff before that. But from way back, like a hundred years ago, like before these regulations existed on what could and couldn't happen in wilderness areas. Um, I guess it was a bot area next to that lake, and they had built uh, like six or seven cabins up there. Like they just cut down wood and built these cabins. So you go up there, and I think they're still owned as private property. It was sort of grandfathered in once uh, the the whole wilderness thing was established. There's a lot of those uh, private land facilities that were grandfathered into that system because they had already existed there. So these are all like undeveloped, unmaintained things that I guess you could could pay someone to, to hike up all the way there and then camp there if you'd want to. It seemed a little dilapidated to me, though. I don't know if I'd want to put out some cash for that after, especially after hiking all day. I might as well just take my tent or hammock or sleeping pad or something, you know, if I'm doing that. But it was cool to go check out, and it was uh, it was kind of cool to, to spot something a little different up there. But it was really fun, you know. Honestly, I don't like the cabins because really, what I want to go to the I Was for is the wilderness experience, is the getting away from. The cabins, the private property, the signs that say you can't go here, someone else owns this sort of thing. I'm trying to get away from that and go to public land or go to places where I have access, where I get to do things. And so if it's in civilization, like downtown and I see private property or whatever it might be, uh, or you know, this is ours, it's not yours, I say, all right, fine, that's okay. Cause that's the that's the negotiation we've made here in civilization. But when we go way out, when we've hiked in miles and miles under our own discipline and accord to get somewhere to spend time there. And then there's some sign, some indication that we're not supposed to be there or we're not supposed to be a part of it or we're not supposed to whatever with, we're supposed to respect their private property and it's a big open field. That's a place that everyone gets to hike to. That's just a big lake. That's a tourist destination. No, I'm not respecting that rule. I'm going wherever I'm going to do whatever. That's your business to get a camp host to discipline, not mine. Um so that might be a lake that I don't go to anymore or that we won't really hike out to again. I think mostly, you know, photos were fun. It was fine, other than like uh not really getting the the light and the opportunity, you know, running into a storm, all the rest of it. Um that kind of took away a little bit, but really there's there's just not as many um how do you say, like, priority landscape features at that, at that location. There's a pretty lake. It's very nice. It's very alpine-looking in, uh, you know, in its presentation, but it just didn't really have one of those, those AAA titles to photograph when you get there. There's not like a lake and then this really cool perspective of a mountain. It's just sort of a big ridge that runs along uh, this, this glacial lake cool really pretty beautiful shouldn't take away from it but uh but when your goal is just kind of to get to a specific kind of thing and then get a photo in the can as they'd say in the biz or you know when you, you get to finish it it's done it's already locked off and it's it's already captured you got what you want then you can move on uh it just didn't really feel like we got there at our location in the Wallowa mountains but it was super fun being there it was cold at night though man made mornings bad that's the thing that sucks about morning photos at night you get the sun to heat up the, the earth all day and then you get to go out and take photos of it in the morning though it's just been cold the whole time especially as we move into fall as we move into winter like that cold just really starts to peak it seems like um or you know we're getting really close to the freeze I'm sure it was already freezing up there above the alpine level. Like when we were 7,500 feet, something like that. So that's a lot or, you know, from coming down here. Oh, man, and the altitude, not altitude sickness, but altitude fatigue. It just drew on me. Marina, too, she really noticed it. But, you know, as you go around, it's like 1 o'clock that next afternoon. You're just trying to. You're just trying to have energy to sit and eat lunch, it seemed like. It seemed like, you know, if you really pumped up and you really got to hiking or something, you could struggle through it. But just that that native energy that you would have to go do something, it just was really zapped. That might be just from sleeping on rocks for four days beforehand and then trying to hike or or something like that. But it's but it's it's weird. I don't know. I remember a couple other times, you know, as you kinda if you backpack and you climb up an elevation, it just can be really fatiguing. So we made it through it. I posted a photo up to Instagram today. It's hitting uh, Facebook and Twitter and the whatnot this afternoon. Uh, I'm also trying to run through and find a good video clip, like a good behind-the-scenes video clip of us kind of uh, walking through or running around up in the Wallows as we were hiking. And I know I have a bunch of those of uh, of us backpacking and trying to put in some work to get to a spot to take some cool photos, so... you can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com you can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with if uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that i was talking about you're welcome to uh help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support you can also find more information there about uh Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman Photo. But some of the stuff is going up on Instagram. It's a photograph of uh, the uh, Alvord Desert. It was one that I was, I was working on in Luminar. And that was from a, um, a raw file that I had from the A7R when we were out in, the, out in the desert, out in the Alvor back in September. And uh, there's like a couple of photos from there that I've been trying to work on a bit more. But through this software called Luminar that I was telling you about, it's like Luminar 2018. It's this update to some software that's been around for a long time. And it's uh, kind of, well, I don't know, a couple of years. It's a newer software. And it's, uh, it's definitely got like that modern Mac OS interface system kind of like the you know how i was showing you some of the stuff in the new final cut how there's some of those button interfaces
1: yeah it looked really similar in the layout
0: yeah there's a lot of stuff that's similar in it and just sort of the way that it operates and hides certain features but uh but it was kind of interesting it's a lot like the lightroom system like in lightroom right now how we have the develop module it's really a lot of the features that we'd see in the develop module but really not the type of of categorization system that we'd have in the, in the library module of Lightroom. And that's, I think some of the stuff that Luminar is really lacking in right now, where Luminar really does succeed is like a lot of the options in photo editing and like kind of specific um, or sort of unique editing filters that you can add to the develop module on the side for some of the adjustments that you can make, like um, just some of the ways you can add luminance or brightness or soft glow or, or just different pieces like that. Um, the software is kind of able to to provide a lot of different different ways to add adjustments and stuff to the photographs. And there's been some really interesting stuff that I've been trying to make, or you know, like kind of kind of coming up with different edits of some of the old photographs that we had just kind of gone through in Lightroom.
1: That's cool. You've been checking it out. I haven't spent any time in it yet. You're doing a is it like a 14 day trial?
0: Yeah, I picked up um, yeah from the website. You can go and get a 14 day trial for the software. Uh, I think in the, the the Mac App Store you don't really see a, an option for that, but I think you see uh, just it for sale. I think it's like fifty nine ninety nine or sixty nine ninety nine. Uh, there's probably a sale going on for Cyber Monday or, or uh, Black Friday, um, but um, but it's been interesting software. And it's you know it's been cool to use. I've been kind of um, I've been curious to see what other things besides Lightroom are going to pop up. And so we see like Affinity Photo, we see Luminar, we see Pixelmator. Uh, you know, there's Capture One, and there's a few other kind of uh, kind of pro options out there. A lot of them, though, outside of Capture One, um, a lot of them are, are lacking, like the the content management or the uh, the digital asset management side of it.
1: Oh right, I can't remember if it was Luminar or a different one that you had shown me, but yeah, it seemed more like uh, like Photoshop almost, where you like you take the file in and you process the file, but it doesn't store your set of photos that you're
0: working with. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it was it was for batch editing or, you know, like take taking a thing, you know, kinda of like how we it, there's a little bit of batch editing stuff, but it still seems clumsy in comparison to the to the tool set and workflow that you have in Lightroom. So really it seems like you would you would still need Lightroom in some capacity to sort of organize some of your photographs in a way, at least like yeah. right now. Lightroom
1: is really great for that. Yeah of what of what there is right
0: now. For the version that I have right now, I'm still way, way, way happy with the, the workflow that I have for the time being. So I have no need to like upgrade to the creative cloud version. That's, that's the current one that's causing problems. Uh, yeah. So I'm happy to keep the old version of Lightroom. And then in some capacity, like update some of my raw processing stuff out on the outside of that to Luminar where I get to kind of take advantage of some of the the more modern processing techniques that are available in something like Luminar or something like Pixelmator or something like Affinity, like some, just the different preset packages and, and mess around with some of the new creative stuff that's kind of new and modern for photography in 2018, as it's going to be. Um, it's kind of, it's cool to be able to test that out, but it's also nice to really be able to keep Lightroom around in the background. Yeah. And, uh, and just have, sure. that, have that there to organize stuff. Like even just like what I was talking about, of um, like this big project I had of, of you know, kind of trusting it to transfer 600 gigabytes of photographs through the computer and then onto a second hard drive and then categorize those under a file name by by day date and year I just wouldn't really trust like software like Luminar to do that it's not capable of anything like that like we were talking about it can just take one graphic file in at a time process it and then save that out as a graphic file but it's not even like that same kind of non-destructive system where you you work on it for a while and then You just leave the program and it's saved. Those edits, those adjustments to the photograph are saved non-destructively to the file. It's still non-destructive editing, but you you have to save it as like a project file. So like ultimately, instead of like just a single catalog where you go through a lot of images, if you were working in Luminar more exclusively, you would have a folder of your photographs or photo projects, let's say, and you would have a photo, like a Photoshop file, but a Luminar file that was the image with the adjustments set aside to it. It's a really big file too. It's like with these like 45, 50 megabyte A7R photos, it's like a 70 megabyte file. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So my poor little 100 gigabyte hard drive is uh, is choking. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know. It's okay. Um, but the Luminar stuff, it's been cool to, cool to work with. I'm going to try and do some screen capture stuff with it. And with that, just kind of thinking about doing screen capture stuff, it's been making me think about s- screen capture stuff and trying to figure out how to do it. And I didn't really know how to do screen capture work before. And I, it, it, pretty quickly, I just figured out, like uh, from people, you know, everywhere saying it, that you can just use QuickTime, the QuickTime player on the Mac to do that. And it works really well. Like I, I pulled up QuickTime and then you go like File, Start New, Screen Capture. And then you click on the monitor that you want to start recording and you can kind of set some commands around if, the, if it's going to show the mouse click or mouse capture at all. And so I was able to do that. I don't know. I was able to practice a couple of times and make some screen captures. And uh, I want to try and transition that over to some of the stuff that we were talking about of like similar to this right now, like record audio like we're doing in the podcast, but then run a screen capture on the background while we're working in something like Luminar while we're going through one of the photographs that we have from you know some place that we were at. And then we can show some of the adjustments and some of the ways of working in Luminar and making adjustments and then saving a file out. And then we can put that up as content on YouTube or, you know, other. Than, yeah, YouTube. That's where I went Facebook or something, <laughs> too. You know, they take videos.
1: Yeah, that's really so. cool that you figured out uh, the screen capture stuff. It's awesome. That's so easy.
0: Yeah, it, you know it will be easy for us and for at
1: least this kind of screen capture.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that I can try and uh, put some work into it and uh, and make some of the stuff you know sort of basic, but uh, but kind of easy to put together. And if it's as easy as this, like of um you know just doing the podcast and doing it in the studio and having the audio and stuff running, um yeah, it should be a good way to to put together some some good image editing pieces for something like Luminar. I, I was I was scanning around on YouTube, and there's really a pretty limited amount of good of good introductory videos for some of this stuff. There's some that the company itself has put out and those are pretty good, but some of the stuff on the outside of it, just the the photography and the advice and the the direction of editing and stuff around Luminar or around Affinity. um, Some of the training tutorial videos I saw around it are just, they're kind of goofy and you don't really see like what's going on or, you know, you just kind of end up with some kind of crazy image That's it's it's just (laughs) sort of some kind of quick. Oh,
1: sure. Not how to, not how to do real editing, but just, if you crank this tool, this is the part that it's affecting.
0: That's what it seemed like they ended up showing. I understand the idea that like when you're, you're screen capturing and trying to figure out how to make something artistic, it doesn't really oh, go together so well. So you kind of have, have to do it like uh, Martha Stewart a little bit and have the two ovens going at the same time. So as soon as you put the pie in the oven to bake, then you pull out the pie that's already cooked, right? Like so you, already, you have to have mm-hmm. a couple of pieces already done uh, in advance. But, um, but yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of funny watching some of this stuff as uh, um, it just doesn't seem like it's really developed yet. So yeah, I want to try and put together some of the stuff around, uh, our cool photos, our, uh, our outdoor photos.
1: Yeah. I think that's cool to get into.
0: Do some landscape tutorials or something. If I can figure out how to edit, it might be just good practice for me to learn how to edit some photographs. I don't really edit enough. Uh, I don't do enough retouching, you know, Not to like really sure. practice my skill to like hone the, the craft of retouching. I don't know how it was for you, like doing a bunch of the wedding stuff. Like it's a lot of retouching to do, but just like That's the advancement of, like, getting better at retouching or you know I feel you like know.
1: my retouching skills are something that have definitely improved. I think oh, it's like yeah. other kinds of editing that I want to get into, or just the more the more stylized way of putting not not in a gross way. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm really thinking about, but I'm trying to just get more. More refined in yeah in how I'm putting my photos together, but retouching specifically, pretty good at. <laughs> Those <want to> <laughs> wedding yeah. photos are great practice. Yeah.
0: oh yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you get like a ton of practice in that. But I want to try more too, and that's that's why I'm messing around with Luminar. And but really, there's so much I can do in Lightroom still. Or, you know, it's just kind of practicing retouching. I'm kind of working toward doing a better job at putting the files together and making them nicer. Going back over some of the old ones, and I want to try and do. A little bit more to, like, rough draft photos. Or, you know, like, oh, oh this is, is a... Mean? Well, just, like, this is a rough draft of the edit. So I could go through and lighten. Oh, and then sure, I, so I, you do,
1: like, your first set of editing and I need
0: Yeah, to then I look at it and then I should edit it, kind of redline it a little bit. You know, see, like, oh, this is good, this is bad. Or I see this, I see this grading, this light doesn't look natural. So some of that sort of stuff is the, uh, the thing I should work on.
1: Yeah, I noticed that that helps me a lot to go... To like kind of come back to things a few times before they're done.
0: I'd like to try and do that a little bit more. I should try and take it more seriously, like the editing part, editing and publishing part. I want to try and jump on more. It's winter time now. I got to put in more. Uh,
1: it's good time for studio hours.
0: More studio hours is what more I got to do. Time. Way more editing time.
1: So for uh, for the luminar stuff that you have gotten to do, um, how? Is its editing compared to Lightroom, um, like for for the parts of it that would be similar or comparable tools? Like, do you notice one seeming like it's better, or do you notice what like is Lightroom still just the best thing that there is?
0: Yeah, an it's old version of Lightroom just... is still the best that there is. Yeah, an old version of Lightroom, I think, it's it is it. it's it's really what it feels like right now. I mean, apparently there's some stuff in 2018 that's supposed to handle more. Like um of the I'm the sure there'll impo- be a
1: bunch of stuff coming out.
0: Yeah, it's it's the digital asset management part that's not really built yet. Sure. And um and and that's but, the thing that's going to be built, I guess, in 2018 coming out by some of these software companies. Yeah. And that's when we're going to be able to see like which one might be better. But really, as it stands right now, it be it still seems like Lightroom
1: for how about for like the actual photo editing part though, or what I what you're able to do. Yeah, the for editing the, of an image, not so much organization of for
0: photos the yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, and going through there, there's there's interesting stuff that you can do. Uh,
1: I know it's a new tool to learn, also, so there's probably an amount of just getting used to it.
0: There's that part too, you know, when in 1992, 93, when Photoshop first came out, you see like, um, uh, oh you God. see the, the art from from that, the photography art from then. And it was yes. just like these insane rasterized images that didn't make any sense. Some, it, some
1: pretty freaky pictures. Yeah,
0: it, it, it was just like uh, all the colors were like transposed into like these weird, super hard, like greens and reds and yellows.
1: I remember lots of yellows. It was,
0: it was just if you cranked if you cranked everything to one side and it was just like, oh, yeah, right, just really we got fresh. it. Look at that. But it was just the it was just because they didn't know what to do with it yet, so they did the most with it. Sure, yeah, and it was bad. And then, like <laughs> since then, they like pulled back a lot, and so now like it looks like real life, or like like they're building something digital to look real. You know, it's like the, the artistic part of it's back where you just kind of you're just using the same thing to to try and lay in the same type of artistic principles that you would anywhere else. <laughs> So part of that is to say, in the same way, as we're coming into these new tools and people are learning these new tools, like like HDR was back in 2007, it's like mm. too hard sometimes. So similarly with some of this stuff, it's a little bit too hard on the editing side. And uh, I noticed that with Lightroom for years, like, you know, when Lightroom came out with my own photos, when I edited them, there's just like, you know, there's just too much, there's a little too much pressure, like a little too much gain or something on the signal. Like it was just about to break up. Mm. That's what it felt like sometimes so I don't know. That's just sort of like the immaturity of the photographer myself in this case. And, uh, and kind of how to understand how to use the tools. But as it goes, the final answer of it is that any of these tools can really result in the same outcome of great work. You know, like what you would know too. It's like, uh, it's just the artistic side of learning how to use some of these really basic tools to make more simple and refined adjustments to some spots that, make the image a little bit more powerful. Like trying to do basic stuff like crop or color correction or um or like a little bit of, of tone curve stuff, you know, like make it brighter, make it a little bit more contrasty. That's sure. about all you can really do. I, I think there's there's different layers and there's different heavy amounts of presets and hue grading. Like the whatever whatever that stuff is of the, the forest photos with no green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's that, I guess, that you can add. But I really think that like a lot of it should be pretty slight adjustments that are there to try and like add to the photo in some way. And I think that those you can do in any of these softwares, you know, in, in any control panel of adjustments on the side, you can, you can export to anything that like would really, that would work pretty well. But in the same way, it's just like a new flavor of a thing to do, or it's a new workflow that kind of breaks up some of the old crusty habits that I've had in the past. Yeah. Like, that's how it is with Lightroom, trying to go from Lightroom to Luminar or, you know, and just, and just messing with it. Capture one, not a chance. It was way too complicated, way too kludgy of, a, of an interface system there. Maybe for a pro that was really into that system, they could do it. it. I'm not required to, I'm not tied down to it at all. So it just seemed like this would be a waste of time ultimately for me to like really put a ton of pressure into it if it's really not a more productive tool for me to get something done. Yeah, you follow what I mean? Sense. Yeah, it's like this. Just seems like hard and complicated.
1: Yeah, not necessary.
0: Yeah, to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a little bit. I don't have a Capture One, or I don't have the Phase One medium format camera. You know. Yeah. If you if if I dropped got a, a the, you know some insane camera dropped off, I guess I'd try and mess with that software more. You know, because it's like proprietary to it. But yeah. outside of that, uh, you know, no, I don't need it, and I and I didn't buy the Pro software either, so. Um, I guess, you know, the decision was made for me as it goes though, with, uh, using like Lightroom and Luminar, I don't know, the editing stuff, it works really well. I've been digging the Luminar stuff because it's a little bit of a way to break up some of the editing choices that I was making in Final Cut or, or sorry, in Lightroom continually. And so changing that part up has been a good way to do stuff. Like, I like the photograph that I uh, that I put together of the Alvord Desert over here um, from one of the RAW files that we shot out in the Alvord with the A7R. And uh, it was like, you know, during sunset, and I was able to kind of pull in some of the warmth. The, the original photo was kind of great. You remember the day out there. The Alvord was a little bit gray. It was a little low on color and low on warmth and stuff. Nice. I was able to pull a lot of that back into uh, to the RAW file, you know, to, to the image when I was editing it. And I kind of, I just like the way that some of it came out, so
1: came
0: out the colors look really nice and
1: natural
0: yeah, yeah. It looks like, it looks yeah. like it's, it's well put together it, yeah as as photo editing software did, do, goes it did fine it works nicely it comes together you know pretty well so I was happy with that but uh, yeah some of the batch editing stuff it's got a long way to go some of the resizing stuff it did fine or you know like uh, just, just setting up kind of the export file the export system of what, oh, what you can do yeah. to the file on the way out that's a little bit reduced from some of the bigger options that you have in Lightroom.
1: Lightroom has a ton of option variations to get into for exporting.
0: Yeah. So like the workflow that I have at work, like outside of an artistic workflow where you're trying to take a choice image and then make adjustments to it to make it its best and then export that as like a piece of art outside of that kind of workflow, like what I do on the production side of taking a few hundred stock photos of equipment, and trying to process that, like batch process it and batch export it, this sort of software would just be no good because you would still you kind of can do batch processing, but it's real clumsy. It's nothing like what you would really expect if you're trying to do it efficiently or, you know, properly. And that's kind of a tricky thing. So I don't know. We'll see like what they, they kind of develop over time. But like I would never want to switch over from Lightroom to something like this if I were trying to do batch processing and exporting of all the production work that I do. It would never Um, work as that, you know, like, yeah, because like to take to grab 30 photos and then export those and have the export resize all 30 of those to whatever long width of it and whatever file type into whatever directory of a folder. It just I don't have the option to do that. And some of the Luminar stuff I can like edit the photo sort of like you were talking about, like edit the photo in Photoshop, make some adjustments but not really any healing brush adjustments you can kind of get by with healing brush but like the healing brush stuff it works way better in photoshop like the content aware healing mm-hmm. way more effective than probably i mean like it's just adobe they've been doing it for 30 years trying to figure out how to do that technology and they're way better than probably anybody at the algorithm that that does the cloning tool stuff i'm amazed at like some of the stuff they can do so you can you can kind of get by in Luminar if you need to like clone something out. But it's still a little tough. It's like it's it's still a little patchy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember like the the cloning out tool that Lightroom has, or that like really basic one. Like it oh, really yeah. just started being yeah. good. Yeah. Not that long ago.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was bad.
1: It was really bad. I remember it being frustrating yeah that's the only thing i always thing. had to use photoshop
0: i always had to bring it into photoshop yeah one time just to do a yeah, little bit little of work
1: piece yeah <laughs> just some little tiny things oh my gosh yeah i totally forgot about that my workflow is completely different now i really just only use lightroom yeah i right? almost never like i did a lot of basic but um but like necessary, uh, like retouching and stuff for wedding photos, yeah, and uh, just like stuff on skin and stuff, uh, or like things in the background, and really, like, it gets the textures of things and the t- colors or like the, the shading just in the patch, yeah, so so well. Now it's really impressive, like, you can do so much with retouching just in Lightroom now, I'm, I'm and way, I used yeah. to. I remember I used to, I had a friend who was a makeup artist and I used to help him with photo shoots for his projects and I would do a lot of retouching for those shots afterwards and I always had to take them a Photoshop because Lightroom couldn't do like just little basic skin retouching things. Wow.
0: Yeah. I remember Not that too. Not in a good way. <laughs> I know. I know. I could never do it. And yeah, it's gotten much, much better. Like the, the healing yeah, brush skin, tool has so gotten bad. much better. Um, So I'm sure it's probably better even still in, like, the more advanced versions than the the few years old version of Lightroom that we're running right now. And I hear that there's other tools. Like, I hear Pixelmator is really quite good for the healing system like that. And I hear, um, what was the other one? I don't know. I think maybe it's Pixel. It might be Pixelmator. But I hear that that's, or maybe it's Affinity. But one of those softwares is the one to use for, like, your 3D images. Like, if you're getting, like, 3D photos or something, you have one of those, uh, the Oh, I'm sorry, not 3D, the, the 360 degree cameras.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Where you're recording like a spherical image. Yeah,
1: and you like stitch it.
0: Yeah, I guess you can stitch it in this program and then you can do, you can do some of the healing brush stuff around like the base of it where the camera is. Oh. Like, you know, like a 360, like say you were to look around, you can look up, like, but straight up, there's going to be like a, a, a dot. It's going right. to be like a gray dot where there's no data. And then like straight down, there's going to be the same thing where some of the data is come together. And so I guess like this this is the software that works even better than Photoshop right now to work on these 360 image environments where you can go through and like pull the image around and then use the healing brush on one of those spots and then have it close that out. And then you can render that out as a as a 360 uh like file to what I don't even know what file type that is.
1: And then, <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and then and then edit it from or you know work on it and, and use it from there. But that's how they like they're producing some of these files.
1: Interesting. That's cool.
0: I want to try and learn a little bit about that, like, and also like, uh, and how that 360 stuff relates to the stock photography market. I was looking at that a little bit, like, um when you look at iStock photo or Storyblocks, which um takes like video and audio and photo, and then there's like Pond Five. There's a handful of other like st- uh, stock photo systems out there, but a lot of the stock photography sites they're talking about a need for these 360 environments for like people that are doing VR development, that sort of thing. So they need these file, these these stock files to build their VR environments with like good produced or, you know, well-produced 360 images. I was trying to figure out. Like, oh, that's oh, so what? interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think like, oh, I wonder how like we could do that sort of on the side of doing other landscape stuff, but, you know, go out to places and then do get like 360 footage and then edit. Or, you know like do just like some of the simple production stuff of it and then put it up on some of these stock sites that it, where it's like in need to get this type of 360 content yeah where there's already so much of a flood of landscape work in stock as right. it goes huge amount yeah so we like that Fair. but i'm trying to think of like content and media work that's sort of around like maybe we're not going to get paid for landscape photos for a little bit so but maybe we can make stock 360, 360 photos <laughs> yeah and make a little bit that's of really money because cool. there's not enough of those right now and then and then use that as an excuse to go on trips out to eastern oregon and, and make photos of fort rock or you know somewhere cool in lake sure. county but we're but we're making uh, some 360 photos or th- some 360 content or something like that that's uh, that you know goes up on one of these stock sites but it's just kind of a fun side idea so yeah. we can try in the springtime maybe
1: that's interesting i didn't know that that was a a part of the stock photography need now
0: it seems like it's coming into a lot of stuff around vr
1: yeah vr is really big
0: <sighs> yeah yeah a lot of stuff around vr and a lot of drone footage oh um, yeah, demand. i'm super into
1: the drone stuff i want a drone really badly this next year
0: we should try and get an inexpensive drone we should try and take it to some spots to get some good basic stock footage of uh sure. of some good stuff outside yeah like the places that we go you know all that stuff would be great to get 360 and, like, aerial drone stuff. But, you know, like, that's what I was thinking. It's like, man, I bet we could run a business, really, if if we just try to book ourselves to do, like, even just stock yeah, trips to do, like, footage. 360 and uh, and uh aerial drone footage that goes up onto stock sites as we, like, populated it in, like, a pretty significant effort to produce and produce, produce. But, yeah. you know, like, one of the trips we made or something like that? Yeah. If we did that two or three days a week wherever we were going... You know, and like, uh, like we took off to you know somewhere, and and you know worked out of a hotel for a couple of days, and made some aerial shots and some three sixty shots, sort of a thing, and then edited them and put them up from uh, you know whatever. We'd probably be like some of the first people to make three sixty and the aerial content of a lot of these outdoor places.
1: That'd be so cool. I'm really into that. Yeah, I think the three sixty stuff is a cool idea. Yeah, and I've been yeah, I've been on board for the drone stuff. Oh like yeah, I know,
0: yeah. I know. Yeah, we need a couple that'd be grand. Awesome. we we need some bucks oh man oh man yeah but i I really want to try and do that yeah i was i was thinking like wow yeah we probably make some of the first especially under the scope of being like cinematography like Mm -hmm. there's there's probably a handful of things that are going up but it's, it's probably not as much like shot or you know like like a photo photography level yeah. Work, and uh, I think that we could probably excel in that pretty quickly if we were uh, if we were jumping in there. But first, we should get our toes wet. And this winter, we should try and put up like a portfolio of at least a hundred of our images, and try and go through and like learn about it. Like put up the photos into a stock library, try and tag them and title them, and get them like in there. Get our account going. Get our just get get it figured yeah. out. You know what I mean? Get right? familiar
1: with how yeah how their system works.
0: Yeah, and then see like oh yeah okay this is the sort of stuff that we're seeing in 360 video right now. But I know it's probably going to be maybe not a fat. I think it's really going to be like something content related to virtual reality, virtual reality is going to be really necessary. And that could be static photos. Like it's been, it could be like 360 video could be a lot of different things, but it's kind of interesting that um, it's just like a new thing that's sort of opening up. Uh, So we should try it. It'd be fun. There's probably like a need for it somewhere on the West Coast, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we can get paid for it someday. That'd be cool. We'll be so on the on the edge, Marina. <laughs> That's what we gotta do. We gotta be on the cutting edge.
1: Cutting edge of VR. Ooh. Stock photography. <laughs> Ooh. I'm in. That Sounds cool. We
0: can put it on our resume, Marina. That we make we're we're VR content developers. Yeah. Ooh. Sounds great. Yeah, it's a good. Hey, it's gonna be real, Marina. It's all right. The yokels around here, they don't know, but we know. <laughs> oh gosh, know. We know, Marina.
1: We got to stay
0: ahead. We got to stay ahead. We got to do it. But I think that's probably everything uh, I got going on for uh, for this episode of the podcast. What about you, Marina?
1: I think that wraps it up. Pretty
0: well. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on billynewmanphoto.com. Few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other, other outbound sources. Some some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.